Welcome now, Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to the beginning of December. Welcome to the beginning of a brand new series entitled The Christmas Experience. We're tying in a little bit uh, some of the themes of our Sunday messages with some of our studies on Wednesdays and just a great time of looking through the Word of God, hopefully at the, uh, uh, the biblical and Christmas account, the story of Jesus' birth and looking with fresh eyes and, and fresh heart. But December is here, and that means, as we mentioned, that Christmas is it's just around the corner. I mean, literally three weeks from tomorrow. And when we said that, you know, there, there were kids I saw who were, who were cheering and clapping, and, and they are excited because many times Christmas means family, and Christmas means no school, and, well, Christmas means presents, and looking forward to that. And you know, when it, when it comes to you and I, as adults maybe, we look at this year, and the song we started off with, Christmas time is here again. Can't believe it's Christmas again. I mean, that, that tends to describe you and I. We think, I mean, Thanksgiving seemed like that was just yesterday. That's already been, what, a week or two? You think back October of, of Halloween and, and getting some candy or maybe taking part in our trunk or treat and September, August, you know, the beginning of school. I mean, that seems like forever ago if you've got kids or grandkids. Uh, you've got the summertime and, and being off from school and, and VBS and maybe some vacations. And hold on, you go all the way back to the beginning of the year in January. And, and how many of you, many of us adults, you look back and you say, with just a snap, it doesn't seem that long ago. It doesn't seem that long ago that our Christmas decorations were up and, and maybe your tree is up at home. And, and, and we think time just flies by. And they say that, uh, well, the older we get, the faster it goes. You ever felt like that? And so for us, many adults, we feel that, boy, this year has just flown by. But ask a kid. Ask a child or a grandchild, and, and they will probably be like, oh, like, it's just forever for Christmas to get here. It's going to take forever until we have our last day of school before Christmas break. And it just takes forever until it's Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and, and opening up presents and, and being together. You know, when, when they're looking forward to Christmas or a birthday or a trip or something special, for, for children many times, doesn't it seem like it takes forever and ever to get there? So many times for adults, time flies by. Many times for children, it, it seems like it takes forever. The difference is a matter of timing and perspective. Timing and perspective. When we think about Christmas, when we think about the Christmas story, think about timing and perspective and look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. You see, it's all about timing and perspective. We see timing when the right time came, but perspective, whose perspective was this about? It's God's. 
For when the right time came, here's what God did. God sent his son. And God sent him born of a woman, and God sent him subject to the law. So the timing was subject to the perspective of God. Now let's take a look at the biblical account of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. And take a look at the timing of God. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So we've got a leader, Caesar who's issuing a decree, and the decree is we're going to take a census, not just of a small portion, but the entire Roman world. And that's taking place at the point in time while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Verse 3 says, everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Could you imagine if, if we did something like that today? If a census, if an account was given and everybody was instructed to go back to your hometown. In this area, there might be a lot of people in Lima and Kenton because of the hospitals, right? For me, you know, for, for some of you, maybe you'd go across the state. I'd, I'd need to cross state lines and travel back to Illinois as I was born in Joliet, outside of Chicago. That would be technically a hometown as far as where I was born. But when we see the instructions, they were to go to their own town. And so Joseph, in the next verse we see with Mary, was going to leave Nazareth and head to Bethlehem. So we've got a leader issuing a decree. The decree talks about a census. The census described the entire Roman world. You're to go to your hometown. And so now Joseph is going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, the expectations of a child, that's about what? A nine-month process or so. So it's during this nine-month process that everything we've just read about took place. Caesar Augustus, the decree, the census, going to your hometown. They would leave Nazareth, head to Bethlehem. Mary is now pregnant, expecting a child. Pay close attention to verse 6. While they were there... The time came for the baby to be born. All of these things were lined up so that Caesar Augustus issued the decree. The decree was about the census. The census was for the entire Roman world. Everybody went to their hometown. Joseph and Mary would go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They're engaged, betrothed to be married. Not married yet, but she's pregnant with a baby. And while they were there, 
Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily specify. We don't have details about this census and what that looked like in the biblical days. Was this just a process of a couple of days? Was this a process of a, a week or two? We don't see the account of that. That was used to get them here. But while they were there, the time came, it says, for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available. No room for them in the inn. Timing and perspective are important. From a child's perspective, waiting for Christmas takes forever. Maybe from many adults and parents and grandparents' perspectives, didn't we just do this? been a year ago, but boy, it seems like it was just recently. Time is just flying by. So the title of the message this morning echoes the, the title of our study on Wednesday, At Just the Right Time. We want to explore a little bit more about timing, a little bit more about what waiting on God and His timing looks like. First of all, understand that waiting on God is never easy. Can I get an amen? There we go. I thought you might need a little prompting, but that that was a good spot for it. Let's try it again without the prompt. Hint, hint. Waiting on God is never easy. There we go. Waiting, we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait on stuff when it comes to our own lives, much less waiting on God. We don't like to wait at red lights. We don't like to wait in restaurants. We don't like to wait in front of our microwave. We don't like to wait, you know, when it comes to technology. I mean, when we think about the cell phones and the tablets and the computers that we have, how many of you remember, it's not that terribly long ago, dial-up internet, And all the squeaks and squeals as you listened for dial-up internet to make sure that you were connected so that you could take forever to go do what you wanted to do on the internet. And yet today, not too long, maybe 20 years past the era of dial-up, we've got handheld devices and tablets and cell phones that do all of those computations in fractions of a second. Oh, but we'll get frustrated because that, that's just not loading fast enough. And we're, we're, we're pushing and pushing and pushing on that phone. We think it makes it load faster or something. We, we, we do something. We don't like to wait. And we're waiting on our physical bodies to improve. We're, we're waiting on tests or surgeries or procedures. We're waiting to hear from doctors. or We're waiting for people in our family to come to know Jesus Christ. We're waiting for uh, relationships to be restored. We're, we're waiting for our finances to, to strengthen. I mean, we're waiting for a lot of things. One of the things I remember waiting for for a number of years was, well, it's meeting that special someone. To meet a spouse. Certainly, by the time I got to Bible college, you know, it was, it was definitely in, in my mind and in my thinking. And, and the four years of, of Bible college, you would think, well, that's, that's kind of the, statistically speaking, pretty good years to maybe come across somebody. I spent my Bible college years, most of you know, Springfield, Missouri, Central Bible College. At that time, 
20 years ago or so, Springfield was a city of about 150,000. In Springfield were multiple Christian colleges, including both Central Bible College and Evangel University, which were both Assemblies of God, as well as the Assemblies of God Seminary, and then several other non-Assemblies of God Bible Colleges. If you add up all of the Bible college students, you're looking at several thousand, thousands of students. And at least in CBC, the majority were women as opposed to men. There were more girls in CBC than guys. So if you're looking from a statistics standpoint, in Springfield as a larger city, in a city with multiple Bible colleges, people that were seeking after the Lord... At a time when I went to uh, the church, church I attended uh, grew. Uh, When I started going, it was about 900 to 1,000. When I left, it was about maybe 3,000, 4,000. So large city, multiple Bible colleges, multiple young people seeking after God in a large mega church with many young people in it. And I graduated no special someone. And God brings me to Galleon, Ohio. Not the city like Springfield of 150,000, a city of about 10,000. Galleon had zero Bible colleges with zero young people training for ministry to a church instead of three to 4,000, a church of about 100 as youth and associate pastor. Statistically speaking, I'm calling out to God saying, God, how is this gonna work? I'm waiting. After four years of Bible college, a year and two years and three years went by. No individuals there and certainly other people trying to help me out. My pastor had some fun trying to playfully set me up with people. Just about every place we went, no matter what restaurant we went to, he'd ask if the waitress was married, if she had a boyfriend. He'd ask a few questions, and then he'd get around to, oh, are you a Christian? He'd have have some fun that way. Uh, You know, this is the single youth pastor where you get invited over to people's homes, you know, for for a nice meal, and, and you show up, and wouldn't you know, there's this other single young woman who just happened to be there. And this well-meaning, you know, individual, typically a a couple, would introduce me to them. I'm not sure if they were as surprised to see me as I was surprised to see them. I I don't know if they had the scoop and they just left me out, but, you know, they they bring me into this room, introduce me to so-and-so, and then walk out to get ready for the meal, and I'm left to make small talk and conversation with somebody I didn't know was coming. Waiting on God. Waiting for what God might have. Waiting is not easy. It didn't make sense. Why not somebody from Springfield during those four years? Why not anybody in those first number of years at Galleon? By this time, I'm almost quarter of a century old. I mean, waiting for 25 years. Technically, we'll just call it about seven because, you know, the the Bible college four plus the first several of Galleon, waiting seven years. Now you're smiling, I know you're laughing, because many of you, you've waited for something much longer than seven, right? 
a healing, a provision, somebody in your family to come to know the Lord. And as we wait, and as we wait, and as we wait, man, it's hard. It's not easy to wait. It's not easy when it looks like nothing is happening. And for the Israelites, for the, for the people of Israel, it seemed as if nothing was happening. They were waiting not just seven years like I was, not just a handful of years or, or maybe decades like maybe you have been waiting for something. They were waiting hundreds of years for God to fulfill, God to keep his promises. You go back to the Old Testament and you see how God had promised a deliverer, God had promised a savior, God had promised help and relief, and it seemed like nothing was happening. Specifically, if you take a look at your Bibles and you look at Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, we would just flip a page and it's about a page separating Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. And so we look at that and we flip pages and um, page to page to page, it's just right there. It just flows one to the next. In the Old Testament, the people of God, they had faced slavery in Egypt, the endless battles in the promised land. And, and we'd taken a pretty detailed look of that through our series in the book of Joshua. They were conquered by Assyria, conquered by Babylon, taken into exile and captivity. At the particular point in time in the New Testament, when we see this typical biblical account of the Christmas story, as Jesus is born, they're now under Roman oppression, which is why this entire Roman world was going to receive this census. And the end of time from Malachi to Matthew is about 400 years we look at that and we just flip the page and think, well, Malachi right over here to Matthew. Literally flipping that page in your Bible represents 400 years. In 400 years or so, God was not speaking. God did not send more prophets. God did not give more messages. God did not send his word. And so for 400 years, they'd already been waiting before that. And now there's 400 years of silence, 400 years where it seemed like God was up to nothing. That's generation after generation after generation. And now we come to the New Testament, and now we take a look at Luke chapter 2, and here we've got this decree and this census, and everybody's going to their hometown. Joseph and Mary are going to Bethlehem, and at that time, at just the right time, God steps in. But after waiting, we understand waiting is not easy. How many of you, as you're waiting for something, you know, you kind of sometimes you throw your hands up in, in desperation. You say, God, any time would be a good time. I'd take now. And you wait a little longer. How about now? You wait a little longer. Now a good time, God? We wait. We wait and we wait. Waiting is never easy as we wait on God. The Israelites were waiting on God to move. They were waiting on what God desired to do, and it seemed like nothing was taking place. As a single youth pastor, I was waiting on God, not for 400 years, thank the Lord, but a number of years. 
But here's the thing to keep in mind. Just because waiting is hard, just because waiting is difficult, just because it seems like nothing's happening doesn't mean God does not keep his promises. Because here's the second thing to understand. Waiting on God includes God keeping his promises. God is faithful. God is just. God will follow through with what he has promised. You and I know there's there's some individuals that when they give their word, you can take it to the bank. I mean, if they tell you they're going to be there at 10 o'clock, you are surprised if they're not there by 9.55. And there's other individuals when they say they're going to be there at 10 o'clock, you don't show up till quarter after because, you know, they might not be there till half past. Don't be looking or pointing around. We know different individuals. We know we can, we can guarantee, we can, we can trust certain individuals. Man, they're just always going to be faithful and keep their word. And, and others, boy, we're not so sure about. When it comes to God, we can take it to the bank. We can depend upon, we can count upon, he is faithful, he is just, he, he will follow through on all that he said. So we took a look at on Wednesday night, we saw the fact that there were right around 300 prophecies from the Old Testament spoken of about Jesus Christ, the Savior. Now, you'll, you'll thankfully be aware of the fact we're not going to look at all 300 of them today. We'll take a look at just a few. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. Years and years, hundreds of years Many generations before Jesus was born, it was prophesied, Bethlehem, as we would sing it today, O little town of Bethlehem, you're a little town, there's not much to you, but you will have someone come from you who will be ruler over Israel, origins from of old, from of ancient times, prophesying about the birth of Jesus Christ. Not just that one would be born, but specifically from Bethlehem. A specific promise, and God kept his promise. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. How's that for a sign? Many of you have had health class at one point in time in your life, and you know what it takes for a baby to be born. And this specific prophecy does not make sense. It does not seem to have enough for a baby to be born. And yet hundreds of years before, the prophecy went forth. And yet what do we see taking place? Biblical account of the New Testament, exactly what was prophesied. Mary, as a virgin, giving birth to a baby. God is faithful to keep his word, sometimes as crazy as it seems. Ever had a, maybe an encouragement or kind of that, that nudge from the Lord, and he thought, oh, this is crazy. 
God, what are you up to? And then God brought it to pass. God is faithful to keep his word, his promise. Here are two very specific things. How this Savior, how this baby would be born of a virgin, and where? Little town of Bethlehem. As well, one other detail, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Refers to the timing and the period after the birth of Christ. As they escaped from Herod, they escaped from uh, wanting to put to death all of the little boys. They escaped to Egypt. After the death of Herod, they then came back and out of Egypt were called back. Not just specific prophecies and promises about the birth of Jesus, but things even after. 297 or so more to go. God is faithful to keep his word. Now, is it always easy to wait for God to keep his word, for God to fulfill his promises? Again, waiting on God is not easy. But you and I can stand firm upon the fact God keeps his word, God keeps his promises. The people of Israel, they were waiting for a savior, waiting for this Messiah, waiting. And after 400 or so years of, of God not speaking, of no prophets, of, of no prophecy, of no words going forth, here comes the child, the savior. God's answer, God's provision, it's not always what we would expect, right? They're, they're wanting a Savior. They're wanting a Messiah. They feel that, boy, they need someone to help overcome the Roman government. And God sends them a baby in a manger in a stable. Isn't that a, a unique way to answer the promise? Many people were probably thinking about some mighty warrior to come and to conquer and to, to lead in the overthrow of the government. And instead, they get a little baby in a stinky manger. I mean, let's just face it. There's animals there. Those animals have some business to do, right? Let's just call it what it is. Sometimes, you know, we, we sing the story, we sing the songs about the, the biblical account, and, and we see things like, the manger scene, and we sing the Christmas carols, and, and, and we sing them as if everything was perfect, the nativity, that, that this, this was probably, you know, an incredible, this was like a hospital tucked away in, in a little stable somewhere. It's a stable for animals, there was no room for them in the inn, and the manger was the the feeding trough where you put the slop for the animals to eat. Isn't that what the Bible says? So we, we think about that, and sometimes we kind of make it seem as if everything was super-duper perfect. According to God's plan, it was, but it wasn't exactly what people were thinking. And as we wait on God, and many times it's hard, and many times it's difficult, we're waiting to see God do something physically or financially or emotionally, spiritually. It seems like nothing's happening. We pray and we pray, and, and it seems like there's no change in whatever this issue is. It's hard to wait. 
what I want to challenge you to do is to trust in God and trust His Word, trust His promises. As we read this Word of God, we see promise after promise after promise. We sing it. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. And we challenge you to read through the Word of God or read in the Word of God on a regular and hopefully daily basis. And as we read the Word of God, we, we're going to come across some promises. We can stand firm upon those. Know that God is faithful to keep His promises. The Israelites were waiting a long time. God was faithful to keep His promises. I wasn't waiting 400 years, but I was waiting a while. And God was faithful to keep his promises. Final thought as we wait on God is this. Waiting on God is always worth it. Always worth it. In the wait, as we look forward, as we look ahead, we think, when is it going to happen? God, what are you going to do? When are you going to do? How are you going to work in our life? How are you going to work in my life? And we question. And we wonder and, and sometimes maybe even doubt God and his word. Because the longer we wait, you know, the more we think, but, but what if nothing happens? Four years of Bible college and three plus years of youth and associate ministry, and then I was asked to be the youth speaker at family camp. I always look back at that and chuckle. Ask the single guy to preach at family camp. You know, the guy who has no family of his own, yeah, let's get him to go preach to our young people at family camp. And God brought me to the massive metropolis of Big Prairie. Now, I think Big Prairie might be bigger than Alger. I think it might be maybe be around 1,000 or two, perhaps, uh, give or take. So it's slightly larger than Alger, but it's not a massive city. And we had family camp, and we, we'd have a you know, number of hundreds of individuals that would, that would head to camp we talk about God and we talk about his timing and, and we talk about how when we trust in him, he's faithful and comes through. Many of you have heard the, the stories we've shared different times over the years, but I met Kim in the first 20 minutes of being at camp. And it was God's timing, first of all, to meet her. It was God's timing that we met that particular year. Had we met earlier than that, Timing not so good. Kimmy's still in school. Had we met later than that, maybe we don't meet, maybe we don't connect, maybe she chooses not to go to the youth services even though she's already graduated and, and too big for that. But some single youth pastor invited her and her friends to come to youth. And over the course of that week, as God worked and God began to kind of do something in our hearts, in our relationship, God brought us together. It seems kind of crazy to spend four years in Springfield, a city of 150,000, 
with thousands of Bible college students who are seeking God and many very specifically seeking a spouse in a mega church, and in four years, nothing. Three more years of ministry in Galleon. But it took big prairie for God to bring his plan together. And I can assuredly say that waiting on God, waiting on his plan, not my pastor's plan for me, not some of my church family's plans or hopes or dreams for me, waiting on God and his plan, though it was maybe not always easy, God was faithful, God kept his word and his promises and was most definitely worth it. Providing the greatest gift outside of salvation in my life. And my wife, Kim. Now, that's merely seven years of waiting. The Israelites, as we look at Luke chapter 2, they had embarked upon hundreds of years of waiting, hundreds of years of nothing, which followed hundreds of years of waiting. And yet, Luke chapter 2, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah is born. He would grow, heal, do miracles, teachings, ultimately would what? Die upon the cross for your sins and for my sins. God's plan, God's timing was worth it as we would wait on God. The baby in a manger initially didn't seem like the start of something, right? But God's plan is better than anything that we can come up with, any solution we might come up with. Many times we can get frustrated, we can get irritated when nothing happens. Don't we get irritated when we wait? Am I the only one that does? Because I, I will admit, uh, confession's good for the soul, I got a little irritated yesterday. As a family, we, we took a, a day or two off, and, and, and we, we went to Columbus, and, and we were going we to do lunch at a, at a pizza place that we hadn't been to. So we walk in, and you walk in, you open up the door, and boy, it just it smelled Italian. I mean, the sauce and the cheese, and ah, this, boy, it smells great, and the sign said, seat yourself, so we sat right down. As soon as we sat down, somebody came, and, and they brought us menus and, and got our drinks, and, uh, and, and we asked a question about the pizza, and, and they answered it, and then we sat and we waited. Minute after minute after minute after minute. I mean, we'd gotten the menu, we'd gotten the drinks, we'd asked about the pizza, and then it was at least 10 minutes, maybe 15, and we're, we're watching our server that passes us and goes to another table and passes us, and, and we see them in the back making the salad and then bringing the salad out and going back and getting a drink and coming out and going back and getting food and bringing it out. And, and we think, well, maybe because we asked about the pizza, they knew that that's what we ordered, and and so they put the order in for us. And 
So we wait a little bit more. Now finally, whatever, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we're thinking, I, I don't think our pizza order is in. Now we're, we're trying to get someone's attention and, you know, miss it. They pass us by. So we're, we're just waiting. And I admit, I was irritated. And our server, I think, finally realized that she had forgotten us. And I don't think she wanted to come over to see us. So she got another girl. <laughs> so the one who gave us our menus, the one who gave us our drinks, let someone else come and take our order. Now, we chuckle, and, you know, this is the, the, the great spiritual giant who's going to preach on waiting on God. You'd think this would have entered into my mind during that pizza time. Oh, boy, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm going to learn how to wait on God. <laughs> now I'm looking around trying to get someone's attention. Excuse me, excuse me, pizza. I'm probably not the only one, right? Waiting is hard. We see promises of God in his word, and yet we don't see anything happening. And much like our experience in the pizza place, we look around and it seems like everybody's getting blessed but us, right? Oh, they're getting a salad. They're getting more drinks. Kimmy went and refilled our drinks twice before they came back to get her. We were right next to the pop machine. I mean, we go get our own drink refills, Everyone else is getting drinks. Everyone else is getting salad. Everyone else is getting pasta. Everyone else is getting pizza. What about us? Come on. Now, what we think spiritually sometimes? God, this person over here, they're getting healed. What about me? This person over here, they're getting a financial blessing. God, where's mine? I'm faithful to you. This, this couple over here seems like their marriage is being restored. What about ours? What about my friendship? What about this? What about that? This person in their job, this person in their... We look to somebody else. So it seems like everybody else is getting blessed. God's working in everyone else, and it seems like nothing's happening. If we're honest, many times we've been there. Waiting on God is not easy. Understand, God is faithful and he will keep his promises. And as we wait on God and as he follows through, it is well worth the wait. I'm so thankful for God blessing and bringing Kim and I together. I'm so thankful that we eventually got our pizza. It was super good. Probably both the quality and the fact that we were waiting. The Israelites, as they saw this child grow to become a savior and grow to die upon the cross, it was worth it as we wait on God. This Christmas, waiting is going to be hard. For kids and grandkids, it's going to take forever. For many of us, it's, it's going to feel like it's just going to fly right by. But over these next several weeks, as we wait, we wait for Christmas, as we wait to see God do things in our hearts and in our lives, understand it's a challenge to go through. It's not easy. Understand God's faithful to keep his promises, and understand as he does such, 
waiting on God. The healing, the blessing, the guiding, the provision, the comfort, the strength, as he keeps his word, it is worth the wait as we put our trust in him.